I'm David Creech. Once again, welcome back to my presentation of God's Amazing Plan. In this seventh lesson, uh, what I've called puzzle piece number seven, we're going to talk about the role of faith. Here we begin by asking the question, what is faith? What does it mean to believe in God? It seems that when you ask a lot of people that question today, they struggle to answer it. And what it usually comes down to is something like a warm, fuzzy feeling that they have. They can't really define it or describe it, but they're pretty sure that whatever faith is, they must have it. <clears throat> now, I can believe, I can have faith that my Cheerios were manufactured by the General Mills Company. Why? Well, because that's what it says on the box, and I have no reason not to believe it. Likewise, a lot of people today believe in God because, well, that's what the Bible says, and they have no reason not to believe it. It's as if a lot of people think to themselves, the Bible says all I have to do is believe in God and believe in Jesus and I'll have everlasting life. I mean, where's the downside to that? Where can I sign up for that deal? But we can get ourselves into big trouble if we try to apply that kind of superficial thinking about faith to our salvation. So what is faith? Well, we need to go to the Bible to find out what genuine faith really is. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is an absolute treasure trove of information on faith. So, so let's begin there in our quest to understand the faith of the Bible. The very first verse there in Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a definition of faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But faith is so much more than just wishful thinking. Faith is so much more than some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling that we may have. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Everything that we can see should teach us to trust God in the things we cannot see. As we've already stated in previous lessons, the evidence of God is all around us. I mean, there's a more than enough evidence to show that a creator exists. There is more than enough evidence to prove the authenticity of God's word. There is indisputable evidence that Jesus lived and that he died on a Roman cross, and that he was buried, and that somehow his body came up missing. Our faith is based on evidence. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, we see that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, if we want to please God, then we need to figure out what faith is, and we need to make sure that we have it, don't we? 
Well, where do we get faith? <clears throat> Can we stop by Dollar General on the way home and pick up a gallon of faith if we don't have any? Can we borrow a cup of faith from a neighbor if we are running low? Can we order it online somewhere and have it delivered right to our doorstep? Romans ten seventeen. I don't have this verse up on the screen here, but it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. In other words, the word of God is our only source for faith. God intended it as a reservoir, a well to which we should come to drink often and to drink deeply. It's not like it's a well where we can go and get ourselves a cup and sip from it and then somehow we have all the faith we need for the rest of our lives. Again, that well of faith, God's word, is a place where we must return to drink often and to drink deeply. It all goes back to what we've stated numerous times already, that of, of studying, diligently studying God's word to show ourselves approved to him. It's been said that faith, faith is the ability to see with the mind what we cannot see with our eyes. Although I, I like that definition, I, I submit to you that faith goes beyond merely seeing with our mind what we cannot see with our eyes and includes action on our part. It includes doing something. So to help us understand the faith of the Bible, let's look at some examples here in Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> this chapter is filled with examples of faith. And what better way to get a grasp on what genuine faith is than to look at examples of faith from God's Word? Now, we're only going to look at a small handful of examples, but as we do that, I want you to pay particular attention to the fact that in every instance, by faith, somebody did something. And you notice as we go along that I'll be highlighting the verbs, the, the action words up here on the screen. <clears throat> the first verse I want to look at is, is the, uh, there in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. You know, if we go back to Genesis 4 and we look at that full account, we see that there's so much more to it than Abel simply offering a more excellent sacrifice. It's not as if Cain offered a good sacrifice, but then Abel's was somehow better. No, we see that Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice, a sacrifice that was pleasing to God, whereas Cain did not. <clears throat> Why was Abel's sacrifice considered acceptable? Because, as the Hebrews writer tells us here, it was by faith. Because it was by the word of God. Because Abel offered his sacrifice in accordance with God's instructions, and Cain did not. Now, kind of a side note, a lot of people today teach that how we worship God doesn't matter. All that matters is that we worship. 
But on the contrary, we can go all the way back to the beginning and see that how we worship matters to God. And in order for our worship to be acceptable to God, it must be offered in accordance with his instructions. It's all about doing what God has told us to do. There in verse 7, By faith Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed. Verse 24, By faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, By faith he, that is, Moses forsook Egypt. Verse 28, by faith, again, we're still talking about Moses, kept the Passover. Verse 29, by faith, they, that is, the Israelites, passed through the Red Sea on dry land. And verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now, how did the walls of Jericho fall down? <clears throat> did the Israelites just set up camp outside Jericho and watch with their faith? Did they just have this sort of warm, fuzzy feeling and say, okay, God, we're here. We believe. Do your thing. No, they did what God commanded them to do. It says here that the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And actually, if we go back to Joshua chapter 6 and we read that full account, we see that the Israelites were instructed by God to march all the way around that city of Jericho once every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march seven times around. Thirteen times they marched all the way around that city of Jericho. And notice that it was only after doing what God had told them to do that God did what he said he would do and the walls fell. So again, we see that in every instance, by faith, someone did something. What did they do? They did what God told them to do. They obeyed. Why is it so hard then for some people to see that our belief, our faith in God is connected with obedience to him? A practical definition of faith is faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do after we do what God told us to do. Now the Bible is very clear that all we have to do is believe to be saved. Now, make no mistake about that. John 3.16 is perhaps the most recognized verse in the Bible. And I could also argue that it's, it's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. It, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So there you have it. Believe and be saved. I believe that with every fiber of my being. 
But what is not clear to many people is that there are two different kinds of faith or belief that are talked about in the Bible. There is a dead faith. And that's a faith that won't save anybody. And then there is a living, working, obedient faith. That's the kind of faith that John 3.16 is talking about. So let's expand our knowledge about these two different kinds of faith before we move on. This is so very important and yet so misunderstood by so many today. James chapter 2 and verse 26. In that passage, James said that faith without works, is dead. So there you have it. it. It is possible to believe. It is possible to have faith, and that faith be dead according to God. Now, do you think John 3.16 is talking about a dead faith when it says, believe and be saved? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul warns us that our faith, our belief, can be in vain. That word vain means useless or worthless. In other words, it is possible to have a faith that is worthless to us, worthless to God. Do you think John 3.16 is talking about a worthless faith? When it says, believe and be saved. Let me give you another example. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Jesus himself said, Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now let me just stop right there and ask this question. Who is going to call Jesus Lord but those that believe in him. So according to this passage, who will be saved? Those that do the will of my Father. In other words, we must obey in order to be saved. Now wait just a minute, you might say. How is it that John 3.16 can say, all you have to do is believe and be saved? And then this verse says that only those that obey will be saved. Is there some sort of contradiction here? How can both of these verses be true? Well, they can only both be true if the believing in John 3.16 includes the obeying in Matthew 7.21. Do you see my point? That's the living, working, obedient faith that I was talking about. That's the living, working, obedient faith that John 3.16 is talking about when it says, believe and be saved. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we see the true test of our faith. John says, now by this we know that we know him. John, how can we know that we know him? He goes on to say, if we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, that's a pretty strong language, isn't it? But those are not my words. Those are the words of God written down by John the Apostle. Many people today proudly wear the name Christian and proudly say, 
I know him, but do not really know God by God's own definition. The truth is, our belief in God must be underscored by our love for God. And our love for God must be demonstrated by our obedience to him, not some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling. The bottom line is, as we have seen from all these examples, a saving faith is an obeying faith. And also, if you think about it, faith is not something that's just unique to the Bible. Uh, if we were having health problems and we went to a doctor and we were subsequently diagnosed with a, a serious problem, cancer for instance, then we generally have a couple of options, don't we? We could choose to do nothing. And if the diagnosis is correct, the cancer could spread throughout our body, and in which case we would likely die an untimely death. Or we could have faith that the diagnosis was correct, faith that the prescribed treatments will work, providing us with a hope of living. Most people select option number two. Is the treatment going to be easy? No. In fact, it may be very painful with all the chemotherapy and radiation treatments that one must endure. It's been said that you can learn a lot about how bad a disease is just by looking at the cure. And I've even heard some people say that they would almost rather die than live through such treatments again. Then why do people do it? Again, it is that that faith that the treatments will work and the hope of living that gets them through it. Now, what happens if we don't take the treatments or we don't finish the treatments as prescribed? Initially, maybe we decide on option number two and we're going to take the treatments, but then later decide not to finish the treatments. What will happen? Well, it's, it's very likely that the cancer can begin to spread again and we will die that untimely death. <clears throat> what happens if we don't follow the prescribed treatments? Maybe we take the treatments, but they're not as prescribed. Maybe the doctor has prescribed a drug to be taken two times a day, every day. But after a while, we decide that we know best for ourselves and we reduce the dosage to just once a day. And then after a while we decide to drop the doses down to just once a week because, after all, who knows me better than myself, right? Would we expect something like that to be successful for someone that refuses to follow the prescribed treatments? You know, what we need to see is that sin is no different. What cancer is to the physical body, sin is to the soul. Just like the cancer of the physical body, we can learn a lot about how bad sin is by looking at the cure. What was the cure for the eternal consequences of sin? The horrible events at Calvary. Can cancer of the physical body come back once it's been treated? Sure, it happens. And likewise, we all sin. It, it's been said Christians are not sinless, but we should sin less and less as we grow and mature. 
as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 9 and verse 12, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, those who are sick are the ones who need a physician. And for that reason, he's often referred to as the great physician. And, and we all have a terminal condition. We are sin sick with a cancer that eats at our souls. If we do not entrust ourselves to his care, and if we do not continue the prescribed treatments, we will die. Will these treatments be painful? Well, yes, they can be. Jesus said that the truth would set us free in John 8, 32, but the reality is it, it, it could make us miserable for a while. Personal application of God's word to our lives can be very painful. Recall the radical amputation that we talked about in an earlier lesson. So why would we do it? Because it is that faith that the treatments will work. And it is that hope of eternal life that can get us through it. Just like that cancer of the physical body, when it comes to our sin sickness... What happens if we don't take the treatments? What happens if we don't take the treatments exactly as prescribed? We will die that second death. What happens if we start the treatments prescribed by the great physician, as so many do, but then we don't finish them? Well, the cancer, sin, will spread again. And we will die that second death. The one we said must be avoided at all costs. And that ends our lesson on the role of faith and brings us to our last piece of the puzzle of life. Puzzle piece number eight. Our response. Indeed, how does God expect us to respond to all of this? I appreciate your kind attention and, and look forward to seeing you in the last and final lesson.